I don't know about you, but have you ever had the opportunity to bring home a report card from school that your parents were required to sign? <laughs> and maybe you tried to juke your parents like I did, and you like cut half the paper out on the bottom and slid it up, and maybe they were going to read something that you had written, and they would just sign the bottom of the paper thinking it was the same paper, but it was your report card on the bottom. Half of you guys are like, Thomas, how messed up are you? <laughs> Pretty messed up. But some of you are like, I've never had to bring home a report card that had anything less than an A on it, so I have no idea what you're talking about. Good for you. Others of you are like, report cards, D's are for diplomas and C's are for degrees, man. But there's something about a report card, especially if it's even today of like your annual evaluation, that someone is giving a comprehensive evaluation of the work that's been done. And it involves all sorts of things that you've turned in, from papers and tests and behavior in class to your attitude. All of those things are evaluated in a report card. And, and even though it's imperfect, it's kind of an analogy for these seven letters that Jesus himself has penned to these seven historical churches. There are seven report cards, so to speak, a, a comprehensive evaluation of, of Jesus's opinion of how well his church is doing in these seven cities. And though he has seven individual letters, we're encouraged at the end of each one, it says, he who has an ear... She who has an ear, open it, listen to what the Spirit has said to the churches. And so we're to, we're to spy on other people's report cards, like, how'd you do? Not so good. And, and how can we learn from that? And so we've been looking at the report cards, these letters that we might learn from them. Now, last week, we started off easy. We said, okay, let's look at the first two report cards, the first two letters that have no criticism of them. And there are two churches that were in the middle of immense persecution and suffering. And though they felt small and weak in the midst of the cities they were in, Jesus said, I see you, I know you, I'm with you, and this is what I love about you. This is what God loves about his churches. He said they're faithful, they're truthful, they're enduring, and they're my witness. That's what he loves about these churches is that they're faithful, truthful, enduring as witnesses. Remember, Jesus says he's, he's the one who's walking around in the midst of these lampstands. These lampstands are the churches. They're supposed to be lights, witnesses to God. And so I love faithful, truthful, enduring witnesses. Now, that was two of the seven churches. And we're going to look at three more churches today. And three of these churches have a mixed bag on their report card. In fact, one of them has the harshest criticism. And what we want to do is say, we have ears. I got two of them. And they're both open to what the Lord says to the churches. And if I hear a criticism of Jesus to these churches, that's also true of me. Well, then I want to pay attention and respond well. So if you've got your Bibles, go to, go to Revelation Chapter 1. If you forgot your Bible like me today, there's one that looks just like this one. And it's in the seats right in front of you. Revelation, we're going to go, Revelation, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. And the first church we're going to look at is a church called 
Ephesus. And Ephesus is one of the metropolises of the Roman Empire. In fact, it had a theater there that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And part of Ephesus also had this amazing temple to a goddess of Artemis. And she was the goddess of fertility. And so worship happened in Ephesus in these like drunken orgies, sexual promiscuity. They would actually cut themselves and participate in worship at the temple. And there's a church there that Paul helped start. And this is the critique, the letter, the report card. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works. There again, there's Jesus holding the seven stars. That's the messengers walking amongst his churches. That's the lampstands. And he says, I know. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. One of the things that Paul said to the church in Ephesus after it was established and he was leaving, he said, there's coming a time when wolves will come in, false teachers, and they will not spare the flock. And so the, the, the church in Ephesus, like their eyes are open, their ears are open. They're trying to spot the heretics, false teachers who will lead the church astray. And their accommodation here is, good job. You've done it. I mean, you can sniff a heretic out like no one's business. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. That's wonderful. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. If you open up the letter to Ephesus that Paul wrote, chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, we have been praying for you. We haven't stopped praying for you from the very moments that we heard about your faith in the Lord and your love for one another. And it's the love for God and one another that has been lost. Verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God." So this church to Ephesus first starts off with, great job. Like you've sniffed out the heretics. You won't permit a false teacher to come into your church and lead you astray. Great job. In fact, not only do you love the truth, you hate all the things that I hate. When was the last time you heard a sermon on the things that God hates? Hate like God hates, you know? That's a weird sermon. But if you go to Proverbs 6, six things the Lord hates, seven he finds detestable. Amongst those are people who lie, bear false testimony, sow discord amongst the brothers. So when he looks at this church, he's telling this church, great job, you love the truth. You love what's right. 
You've written incredible statements of faith and everyone has signed them. You hate the things that I hate. You can't permit those works of evil. But this is what I have against you. Here's where you've compromised. Here's where you're no longer being a faithful witness is you have abandoned the love you had at first for God and for others. And the remedy is to repent from that and do again the works of grace and mercy and compassion, the works of love towards God and towards others. Now, how does someone get here where they love the truth, they love what's right, they have strong moral compasses, they just lack love? Well, I see a lot of pastors get here. I see a lot of teachers get here. I see a lot of officers in law enforcement get here. People who, who serve in people business can get here. Is they get so worn down from bad behavior that they can't discipline and correct that eventually they become sarcastic. And they hold on to the truth. They love what's just and what's right. But they've lost the love they had at first. And so pastors lose their love for their congregations. They, love their, they lose their love for their community. They lose their love for those who don't yet know Jesus. We see teachers lose their love for teaching, for the student. And they become so infuriated with the behavior out there as they hold on to what's true. And many people would say, that's the problem with the church is they're always talking about what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's false. And so stop being such a legalist. You should be filled with grace and love and compassion. Leave this alone for a little bit. And so we enter this, this next church, this church of Thyatira. So grab your Bibles again. Go to chapter 2. We'll start in verse 18. This church in Thyatira was located amongst the trade routes of the Roman Empire. They were known for its guilds, for the different works that people had of cloths, linens, textiles, works with metal. Remember, Paul had met a woman named Lydia who dealt with fine purple cloths. She was a businesswoman. She was from Thyatira. And so here is a church, perhaps that she started, that now gets this report card. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. They had a guild of, of metal work, of bronze work here, and eyes flaming of fire, meaning that he has eyes to see the heart's condition, what's going on behind the scenes I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Meaning that your beginning works of love and compassion and grace, they've, you've only built upon them. You're more loving, more gracious than where you began. Verse 20, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality 
and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Now, perhaps there is a woman in the church named Jezebel, and if that's true, that's awkward when the letter's being read. <laughs> Probably it's referring to the Queen Jezebel from 1 Kings chapter 16, the wife of Ahab, who was a wicked queen, a terrible leader of Israel, who killed Israel's prophets, who established her own prophets that worshipped the god Baal. And Baal worship began with child sacrifice. They would put their offspring to death in worship of Baal. They would cut themselves and mutilate their own bodies in worship to Baal. And the leader of all of that worship is Jezebel. You tolerate, you permit this woman Jezebel to be in your church and to lead the people into sexual perversions, affirmations of sexual perversions, of idol worship and the destruction of your offspring. That's what he has against this church. Verse 22, behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, which is probably a judgment of her behavior, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, judgment, unless, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead meaning her followers, those who follow her and practice the things that she practices. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my, my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron and with earthen pots and broken into pieces. Even I myself have revived, or sorry, received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so you got this church of Ephesus that says, we got this down. We love the truth. We can spot a heretic anywhere. We won't permit them in our church. And Jesus says, great. But here's what I have against you, is you have lost your affection and love. And this church says, yeah, it's about the affection and love. Come on, Ephesus, be gracious. Love like Jesus loves. Don't be so harsh. Don't uphold all those things. Love. And Jesus says, this is what I have against you. In your extension of grace and love, you have compromised truth. You will not speak up for the things that I call holy, right, and pure. You allow things that are bent and warped, that are not God's good ways, to take root in the church. 
and I will give you time. I love this. this is all, all, Jesus hasn't given up on any of these churches. I will give you time to come to your senses and repent of these works that I would forgive you. Now you think about this. How does a church get here? How does a church get to the place where they've compromised truth and they're willing to be so gracious in such a way that they're allowing bad behavior in the church? Have you ever heard this? I don't want to be unloving. I don't want people not to like me. And so the reason I'm willing to compromise on truth is because I don't want to appear unloving. Have you ever, ever heard that? Ever felt that? But here's, here's the truth about that. When Paul writes what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, right, love is pure, love is kind, doesn't hold grudges. One of the things that love does is love rejoices in the what? The truth. It is unloving to be untruthful. It is unloving not to rejoice and uphold and speak the truth. And if you truly hold on to the truth, then you would know grace. And so some people say, okay, see, this is the problem, is you're so extreme on the truth and you're so extreme on the grace. The problem is being extreme. And so let's just kind of like step away from both of these, kind of walk out of the light back here where it's dark, kind of hang out here. I was kind of just shrug. Is that truthful? Eh, maybe. Is that gracious? Eh, enough. Welcome to our last church. Church is Laodicea. Chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing not realizing that you are a wretched, pitiable, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the, sh and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Then this famous verse from, from 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Laodicea isn't compromising on truth, isn't compromising on grace. They have simply become complacent. And their complacency stems from their self-sufficiency and wealth. Laodicea 
was the banking center of this area and had great wealth. So much wealth that they could rebuild their own cities without federal government help. There were two earthquakes, one in 27 and one in 60 AD. And both times the Roman government reached out to this city because it was so important and said, can we help you rebuild? And both times the city said, nah, we got it. We have enough money and resources to fix ourselves. And perhaps this was their attitude towards Jesus. We don't need you. We are fine by ourselves. This city also, though it was the banking center, had much wealth, was known for this eye salve. It was a medical center, something about their medicine that could cure some sort of eye disease. And so they were known not only as a wealthy place, but a medical place as well. There's knowledge here in this city. There was one problem with this city. Its water was terrible. There were two neighboring cities that had great water. Hierapolis was about seven miles away, and it had these beautiful hot springs. These hot springs like you know, Glenwood or Steamboat or Uray that you've been to. Like they're healing waters up there. 11 miles away is a, is, a church, is a city named Colossae. And Colossae had wonderful, fresh, cold spring water that you would love to drink. Now, what Laodicea had done is created an aqueduct system to bring the water to their city. And if you go there today, you can actually see their old piping that they used to bring water into the city. Here's the problem. By the time the water got there, it was lukewarm. How many of you guys love lukewarm room temp coffee? It's like, give me cold coffee? Give me hot coffee. But nothing's worse than being halfway through a cup of coffee at the restaurant and just looking for someone to come bring a warm up, right? That's an illustration of this city. And Jesus uses their water problem to describe their spiritual problem. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. And Jesus says, you make me want to vomit. Think about this. All three of these report cards. Like, how serious is it? How serious is it to just be a, a church of truth and to compromise on grace? It's very serious. It's so serious that Jesus says, I'm thinking about removing your lampstand. Like, how big of a deal is it to be filled with grace, to be in the community, have all the right social projects, caring for people's material needs, but never speak up for the truth? Jesus says, I'm going to destroy everyone who does that. But like, how serious is it? I mean, we're not extreme on the truth. We're not extreme on grace. We're kind of like, eh, lukewarm. It's so serious that Jesus says, I want to vomit you out. You see, this is not like a B plus, A minus, Caesar for degrees. It's passing. Is Jesus saying that is an insufficient witness to simply be truthful, to simply be gracious, to be tolerating, to be complacent. Now, maybe you've heard this passage taught on before. And how a pastor has described hot and cold is this, that Jesus says, I'd rather you be hot, like on fire for me, or cold, like just be against me. 
that that's probably not the correct interpretation of the text because he's using their water issue as the illustration. Meaning, if you were to go to Hierapolis and get the hot waters, that's useful for life. And if you'd go down to Colossae and get the cold spring waters, that's useful for drinking. Their problem isn't that they're not hot or cold, it's that they're not useful. The church is useless if it's not speaking its truth and being gracious. And so he's saying, your usefulness is compromised. You being complacent in these things, I can't use you for anything. Like you're not calling anyone to anything. You're not being gracious and merciful to anyone. You're simply complacent. And what have they be- why have they become complacent? Is because of their great wealth. They say, remember, that you say you're rich. You need nothing. And I'm here to tell you, you lack self-awareness. You are poor and you are blind and you are naked. And to remedy that, I love it. God hasn't given up on any of his churches. To remedy that, what you need to do is come to me and buy gold that's been refined by fire. That's in the pressure cooker. How does the church experience the pressure cookers? You have to stand up for the truth. Buy gold that's, that's pressed through the furnace of suffering, standing up for truth. Or you need real clothes, white clothes. These are, these are works of righteousness. You need the purity of this grace and actions. Come buy from me real clothing, but I provide it. And so you lack self-awareness. You have become self-sufficient in your own wealth. Now, if you were to look at these three churches and ask yourself, which one of these are we in most danger of becoming? What would you think? I think in some respects, we are in danger of becoming Laodicea. Like we live in a very wealthy area. You are all very good-looking, healthy people. You have big houses, deep pockets. In fact, one of our badges we wear as Americans is our independence of not needing anyone. And we might wear that badge so much so that we don't need Jesus. It's like going to a prayer meeting and being like, okay, what can we pray for in your life? I'm good. I don't know, maybe you didn't hear the question. We're about to petition the creator of the universe that has the cattle on a thousand hills, who owns everything, who's aware of all things, who's ready to help and has an ear tuned to our prayers this morning. What would you like to ask the creator of the universe for? I'm all set. I've said that before. I think we can become endangered of doing church so well 
having such great programs, great worship services, that somehow we lose our need for Jesus. For we say we are rich, we're fine. And we're not, we don't dabble too much here in the truth. We're not going to make anyone too upset, bother anyone, convict them about the way they're living. Nor at the same time, like, well, over here we want to be gracious and loving and accepting to everybody. And so in some ways, we just kind of drift back here. Like, not in the lights. We're complacent. What's the remedy for all the churches? Is to be an overcomer. To be an overcomer. Jesus says, as I overcame. Now, Scott read this earlier from Revelation 12. How do we overcome? How are we conquerors in these things? We conquer by the blood of the Lamb, meaning the works of Jesus Christ. It's our faith in Christ first and foremost, because no one's doing this perfectly. And it's two the word of our testimony. And so he or she who has ears, listen this morning. If you're someone who loves the truth, do not lose your love. Repent and do the works that you did when you first were a Christian. When you loved the Lord and loved others with extreme love. And if you're over here saying, I just want people not to love me and like me, and so I've compromised on the truth, but I'm filled with grace, he who has ears and she who has ears this morning, listen up. Truth really matters. Like holiness really matters. How you live really matters to Jesus. And if you found yourself kind of just drifting off like, man, I just don't want to bother anyone. I want to kind of get my 40 acres and leave everyone alone. I don't have any needs that have ears to hear. The Lord is not satisfied, is not pleased with your complacency. I think there's something in one of these three churches that each one of us who has ears to hear can hear this morning. And the remedy is this that God is not throwing you out. Not even Jezebel. He's like, I am patiently waiting. And anyone who would remember what they began to do at first and do it again, would repent of their works, would return to me, then I have all those rewards to sit and eat from the tree of life, to be on my throne, to inherit eternal life. The rewards are for those who conquer, who remember, repent, who hold fast, who return to me. And so what has the Lord convicted in you this morning from one of these letters? And what is the response that makes you an overcomer to come back to the Lord? I love it. He writes this church. He writes a letter to a church, talks about, about groups in the church, and then addresses you as individuals. She who has ears, he who has ears in Calvary Bible, listen to what the Spirit says to his churches. Let's pray.
Father, you say that you write these letters because you love us. May we not lose sight that your evaluations and disciplines come to those whom you love. And Father, I just pray that every single man, woman in this room would sense your presence at the door of their heart, knocking. And for us to simply open the door to you is our reward. And so, Father, let me confess on behalf of this community. May we confess our lack of love that we have had at times. Let me confess our lack of grace to love those that you love. Let me confess our complacency and our self-sufficiency apart from you. Would you forgive us and would you restore us and let our lamp shine bright so that our communities would see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, full of grace and full of truth. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.